Welcome to Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready. We're about to live in your head rent-free. Hello, Otterites. This is episode 168. I am Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. All right, gentlemen. It is week two of the month. That means it is Code of Honor. Yeah. We are here in Studio R at the Atrium. Very comfortable. Yeah, very very comfortable. comfortable chairs. You know, uh, Martin, that was a fantastic idea you had some time back. Moving things to the uh, comfy chairs uh, at your studio. Yeah, forget about like conference tables and all that business. This, this is much better, much better. Uh, and of course, Francis and I have followed suit. Absolutely. And of course, you know, we, it's a wonderful time of the year uh, to to be sitting out here in the atrium because it's uh, uh, first of well, second of July as we record this, and you know we've got all this greenery to to view. Uh, which is why I, I like to sit in this chair because I can see it. I had to kick Martin out of my chair early on. He wants to uh, see his view because right? I want to see my view. And all um, I can see is Robert's uh, grill cover here. Yeah, well, you know, and me. So what more do you need? Um, but anyways, uh, you know, it, it's just a great view. That we get enough shade where the the sun isn't too bad. Uh, later on in the day, the only thing I need to do in here is turn on the fan. Uh, to keep it cool. So it's really, really, really love recording out here. Uh, we didn't talk about it last time. Before we get to the Code of Honor, which is John Locke quotes today. Right. We're doing John Locke. So, as you know, uh, Otterites, we like to talk about our writing projects. And, uh, yes, we you do. know, uh, Francis is now five, some five chapters into mm-hmm. his second book. Right. Sequel. And, uh, right. Sequel to the first. Sequel to the first. Uh, unpublished so far. Both are unpublished. Right, but he's in, he's in it. Yeah, well, in I, it. I think I told, I don't know if I told the listeners, I was advised uh, by some friends saying, you've already got the plan. You'll be much more uh, noticeable or... Taken more uh, seriously. Taken more seriously by a publisher or an agent if you have the second one finished and in the can. So I said, okay, I can do that. So that's uh, right. You've got two properties to sell that way. That's right. Yeah, and it shows you're not a uh, one-trick pony already. Correct, because that's so often is the case. And right. uh, and my and uh, with the characters I've created, I, like, it can be an ongoing series. Absolutely, um, which is Absolutely. the intention. So and then of course Martin now has uh, finally begun putting uh, electrons to the screen and yes. has uh, written some twelve thousand words so far in his uh, first story in the last week, mind you. In the last week, yes. yes. Which is a tremendous output for anybody, because uh, a lot of authors, you know, they shoot. Some shoot for as little as five hundred words a day. Uh, some shoot for you know a thousand, two thousand. Some do it by the amount of hours they can write. Yeah, uh, it just depends. But yeah. the key and thing I, is writing every day. Yeah. Ernie would be proud. Yes, yeah. he would. I, I really just didn't even have a target or anything. I just knew I needed to get what I had in my head so far out of my head. It's been rattling around for yeah. for a long time. And I knew I couldn't just do it piecemeal, come home from work and try to... Do, I, I knew I'd get too many interruptions. So I knew I'd this week uh, playing hooky from the office. I'd have a little time and I could sit down and and it made me really happy. It may, nothing may ever come of this. It may be total garbage. I don't know. But it made me happy to know I could do it. Right. I could sit there and let it roll out of my head uh, into one drive and... <laughs> and It'd be there. Right, right. And, you know, like I said, it's the kind of thing where even if you only did a half hour a day, you know that you can do it, and all you got to do is carve that out. You'll find yourself obsessing very quickly over, I've got to get this next scene written. Yep, yep. And that's when you'll, you'll just sit down and go through it. Maybe you won't finish it in one sitting. Maybe you will. And just keep, you know, it's kind of like moving from base one to base two, base three. You're yep. just constantly moving forward. And you can tell back. he's a sports guy. Base one to base two to base three. 
I was speaking that way. Yeah, well. <laughs> I know that. that yeah. It's baseball, so you know. It really that's wasn't intended to be a baseball yeah, effort. Yeah. Actually, it's just. Yeah. It's, I haven't written like this in forever. You know, yeah. it always seems so daunting to think of. You know, it you is get those assignment, assignments in college. Oh, we got to turn in a ten-page paper. Well, in a, in four days, I wrote, you know, twenty-six pages. Right. Right. And that's the thing. You know, it, it didn't really seem like is. Work at all. Mm-hmm. Well, no, About five hundred words a page, a little less than five hundred words a page, uh, will give you a you know a single page. About five hundred words gives you a single page, give or take a little, depending on uh, how big your words are, uh, but and your margins. So yeah, you've got about twenty five pages, give or take a little there. Yeah. Uh, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. Yeah. Uh, you know, dialogue breaks. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, right now, I'm pretty heavy with dialogue. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm a. I'm a the, the idea here is that these characters are talking things out. Right. And those are, that's actually a little easier to write. It is. Yeah. It, it really is, because uh, it, it's much easier to hear and see in your head, uh, mm-hmm. the dialogue. Right. So uh, the reason I brought that up is, you know, not just to update the, the reader, or the listeners, you know, which we kind of did the last episode we recorded as well, because uh, we're still in the same place, because we're still recording. But one of the things I've done here with Studio R in the atrium is I have gotten a desk, a small desk, and I've set up here in the corner, and I've got a, I've got a bookshelf behind it, and the desk looks out on the backyard. And I've set up a couple monitors, and uh, uh, yeah, I've got even got got it set up so that all the cords for the various devices that I might need to charge are uh, have a place to be to be hung so that everything stays nice and neat. Mrs. Robert comes down and she will plug in uh, to the monitors and she will work here sometimes in the uh, there you go you know when she's home from work uh, occasionally in the evening, but I like to come in here and write. Matter of fact, I did an hour of editing before the boys showed up to go to Biscuit Belly this morning, so you know it very much is a a great place to go to do the work. I think we've talked about this before, but you know just as a guy needs a place for his stuff. Mm-hmm. He needs a place to do his writing. Amen to that. And for me, I love this. Far fewer distractions here than at my regular desk. So Good for you, man. Lo- just loving this. Here. We're a little more cramped than we were. Uh, the dog is definitely noticing it because he walked in here this morning, looked at the chairs I had set up, and he's like, what the hell is this? This is where I nap. <laughs> yeah, and I even got to uh, one day get up from my desk Took the laptop out onto the deck at a little yes. table and and wrote for a couple hours out on the deck. Very I tell you, enjoyable. That that is something that is nice as well. I'll occasionally go up to Sister Beans and do some writing up there. The proverbial coffee house writer, uh, <laughs> but you know, there's something about just going someplace different mm-hmm. to do the work. Sometimes that can be conducive to, to yeah. jump starting things. Yeah. yeah, earlier in the week were some very very pleasant days. Was not hot and humid. Uh, the end of June, and it was just really pleasant to sit out on the deck before the sun got too high and and just uh, enjoy some fresh air. Always nice. All right, so now that we spent half the episode talking about our writing endeavors, uh, it's time to get back to Code of Honor. John Locke. Mm-hmm. Not the guy from Lost, the philosopher. <coughs> That's right, the first one. The original. The first one, the original. So, as you know, uh, Otterites, uh, each of us will have a quote that we will uh, give. I go last because I am the hammer, Robertus Malleus, and I want to hammer home uh, Francis's and Martin's points into a cohesive, cohesive whole. Hopefully. Yes, you, you will be hammering our square pegs into your round hole. Sort of. 
Sort, sort of. of. <laughs> Skip a bit, brother. Skip yes. a bit. Uh, so, anyways, uh, they'll all be from John Locke, uh, and and we'll uh, and I think you guys have both have yours. I do. I have mine. Yes, you get yours, don't you? I, I'm, I'm ready. Francis, why don't you go first? You yeah, know, we kind of dominated uh, the the last episode, and we've certainly dominated this one so far. Well, I'm I'm thinking too. I never just envisioned Francis as the quiet one. <laughs> <laughs> you are so right. Oh Lord, uh, none I, of us really. Well, that, this is in fairness. You're exactly right. Uh, I'm usually the quiet one. You're the instigator. I like to poke sticks through bars and see what happens. Exactly. Exactly. All right, so, Francis, we, we'll stop interrupting. All right. Well, uh, I promise. This might be the hardest one challenge that we're going to give you of all, because John Locke is one of the, it is, he's one of the most well-written, diversely commentaried individuals in all of philosophy. He is the basis, and we'll get into this next episode, on so much of the way our country and our government is structured. Jefferson was a huge Locke fan, and he stole Crib so much of that. Voltaire stole from Locke, and, and all, you know, which we've talked all about that, because yes. Locke predated all these folks. Uh, so he's got a ton of stuff to talk about. He's like Voltaire. He's just a, an, an enormous intellect that is, has such prolific amounts of verbiage that he wrote and spoke all over the time, so we may, you may have your work cut out for you with this one here. Well, uh, I would say that because there's so much, it should be easy to find something. Oh, there's no question about finding. It's a question about you can tie, tie it together, hopefully, because I don't, uh, and Martin had only briefly mentioned he's got a long, you got a long quote coming, don't you? Mine is very short. Yes. Uh, and it's it does not appear, it, it's not going to his core uh, concepts either. It's something very different. And I'll give you the quotation <coughs> from him. And I love this, by the way. This is so us in so many ways. The quotation is, Reading furnishes the mind only with materials of knowledge. It is thinking that makes what we read ours. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, the man is a giant. Of, of that could be a, like one of the unofficial mottos of Snakes and Otters. That's why I pulled it out, because I'm thinking, that is so us. That is exactly what we are. Reading furnishes the mind only with materials of knowledge. It is thinking that makes what we read ours. It is really the, the core idea of what we all laud, which is the liberal education, the liberal arts. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and by liberal, we don't mean political. It has nothing to do with politics. Well, John Locke is the father of liberalism. Right. Yeah. Philosophical liberalism. Philosophical liberalism. Yes. Philosophical liberalism. European style liberalism. And we'll talk about this in the next episode. episode about him. But that's an important distinction that we're not talking about modern political liberalism. Right. 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 We're talking yeah. about political liberalism is far different from philosophical liberalism. Uh, because as I've pointed out many times... In the United States, conservatives and liberals are both liberals. The political parties are both liberals. They're about, don't tell me what I can do with my whatever. Whether it's money, body, whatever. Yeah. So, But anyways, uh, it, it really is the epitome, though, of that kind of education. It's about a true education, not a training for a vocation. That's which right. is what you know modern big universities tend to be. Yes, they, they are... Uh clone factories, you know, that yes. uh, create uh, 
particular individuals, which is in many respects inhumane. It's yes, just but, Django after Django. Well, well, that's yes, that's exactly right. Yes, you, you create something that's exactly nice. what you want and just shove it out there. Or to put it another way, so that it doesn't go over everybody's head. Fat after fat. Yes, that's right. You know the the, the part of that one that is so appealing to me is making it your own. Yes. That's you right. Know, it's, it's one thing to read something. Which is a very liberal attitude, classically yeah. liberal attitude. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's one mine. thing to read something. It's another to really absorb it into who you are. And, and you know, there's a lot of things we enjoy reading, but there's only so many that begin to wind themselves into our double helixes. Ooh, you are on fire today. <laughs> Whoa, nice yeah. turn of phrase there. So, you know, the, what we talk about, P.J. O'Rourke, and mm-hmm. how meaningful he is for me especially, but how influential he is to this whole endeavor. You know, that's somebody who we read, thought about, and made our own, made into our own hearts, um, and somebody that's influential in our outlook about everything. Shakespeare would have used the term "those that we chew, swallow, and digest." Yes, and that's exactly yeah. that's exactly yes. it. I mean, that's really yes. the fifth, but that's exactly right. it. And again, that's not an indictment of other reading material. Not at all. No, no, we, because again, let's we face enjoy it, tons of stuff. The stuff we are all working on, we don't expect anybody to make their own in that same way. It's not that same kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, praise for Victor Davis Hanson or Adrian Goldsworthy or Tom Holland or Candace Millard. You know, it's it's because not only is that material very appealing, but it causes us to think about what that author said and restructured our outlook. Sure. And we made them our own. Yes, we've taken influence from them. And, and and changed. We've we've we have caused change a bit in ourselves. And that's the thing that I like about the uh, the, the last part is it's the thinking that makes what we read ours. Um, it is a very liberal thing in, in the sense that Francis said it is mine, because uh, again that's the don't tell me what I can do with my ex kind of thinking. But I think it's my, we when we make it ours, it's not that we take it so that we can hoard it. Because in the, in the classical liberal sense, you take it, you ingest it, mm-hmm. chew it, digest yeah. it, uh, and make it your own so that not just that it becomes part of you, but so that you can then send it back out. That's correct. Yeah, that's right. You know, when we make it our own, it is not so that we can hide it away in the closet. It is so that we can expand on it and yeah. share that, that with that everyone else. classic Sunday school, don't cover your light with a bushel. And what you read is the fuel for your light. Yes. Well, that's very true. And this is very Locke, because that's he is very much about uh, you private property, which is at much of the basis of what his philosophy is all about, is never intended as a selfish thing. I mean, it's literally, he says this, it's all about uh, having 
stewarding what you have, what you own, and then giving to that what, social contract what can to everyone make, else can yeah, do. What can you make out of it? It's one thing to own a chunk of land, but is that land doing anything for your community? That's right. He was all about community, both both as... Uh, uh, and yet he never lost sight of the yeah. individual, which is one and of the reasons... he's not talking about like making a park out of it. No, not at all. I mean, he could be talking about, okay, even a greedy developer tax cheat is still building homes for other people. Um, you're still making something out of that property. Mm-hmm. And it, that's what he was all about. Right. It was, it was about... And it was, it was not only self-actualization, but at the same, very same time... It is also community, uh, or polis, to use the Platonian term, or or country. Uh, all those. Give me more on that. Give me tell, talk to me about Plato, man. Well, polis is Greek. It means it, it means, uh, it means city. You know, metropolitan. Now, that's what it works. That's how. That's you know, when I talk about community. The classical polis, yeah. yeah but yeah. but see, so we get polity, meaning the people. That's right. The, the poly- political. All those words come from that. But. When, when you use it in the classic Greek sense, it means your state, which can be either the state of New York or the country of the United States or your county that you live in. or the, Polis can be all those things. It's, it's your socially contracted group, your people, you might say. Fern and, Creek or the South End or whatever it well, is. That's correct. And it, it is irrespective. It, it, it is irrespective of those who make it up, who can be anyone. They just need to be, quote-unquote, citizens. And whatever the process is for doing that, that's fine, because they all have ownership in it. See, that takes the private ownership, and private ownership begets public ownership. And that's why it's so important for everyone to be a, respons- a citizen. A responsible a full citizen. citizen is correct. Able that's to right. fully participate in the public. That is exactly right. Now, of course, Locke, in his time, the concept of uh, of, of women or other races, you know, or, or other nationalities participating in this was impossible. It's difficult. Yeah, it, 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 he, he, didn't, he was caught in a spot where he couldn't figure out. He it, he didn't think that way, but he didn't need to because the, the, his philosophy was so universal and so applicable. And we're stealing the next episode all over the place here. <laughs> it's leaky everywhere, but uh, that, but that's that's why I picked this this quote yeah. because it's it, it's taking that responsibility. And of that private ownership and putting it inside oneself. Yeah, and that just, and it extends and even private, inside yourself. And private ownership here uh, is is at the most expansive definition. Absolutely, because we're talking never, about it is never because we're talking about of the mind. That's correct, not the material, because you can't. You know, talk about how it's not about you know bring you know reading something and then hoarding it away because you can't. It's impossible. Because if you make it your own, it has to be expressed somehow. It has to to change you in some fashion. Yeah. It has to make you grow, evolve. I mean, it's very Darwinian at times, although it's never exclusionarily so. It actually can devolve you if you choose to make your own uh, something like Mein Kampf. (laughs) That's true. That's right. You're you're absolutely right. But either way, if you make it your own and then express it back out, uh, you know, it, it... it's the same idea, granted in a bad way. Yeah. The, con- the, the, con- the, the content is neutral. It, 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 in this particular in this equation. Particular, in this particular equation yes. here, it's right. Because the it, content it, it, doesn't have to. I mean, if you read crap, yeah. you can you're, be, you you're going to and become you incorporate, crap. yeah, you know. Yes, you may to. not incorporate 
specific crap, but you're going to end up just being generally crap. Right. I, and you shall spout crap. Yes. Yeah, when you when you chew it and swallow it, then it's going to come out the same place all your other stuff does, too. Well, that's, that's true, because... Uh, and this this works both in the negative and as well as the positive. There, there's a presumption here in Locke that you're reading positive things. Right. Well, there is a proscription as well as a prescription here. Very much so. Yes. That's yeah. that's, uh, that's just outstanding. I, I love that. And again, that warmness, um, making something your own, especially the things you read, how that. That hits us where we Becomes live. Becomes who you are. Well, it's it's about improving yourself, Mr. Offenhaus. Enriching yourself. Enjoy it. Well, well done, sir. Yes, that's All right. So, Martin, what right. is your quote? Captain. Thank you, Captain. Oh, Captain, my Captain. <laughs> we did Whitman in an episode. I don't think we've ever done that before. Well that's done, true, Robert. Buddy. Still, well still done, one Robert of the greatest American poets there was. So, okay. Well, our, every episode is a living example of that John Locke quote. Yeah, you know, we, we right. have ingested it and we have made it our and own. We're turning and, it and out, turning it back out. It out. That's yeah. All right. So mine is a, a little bit more directive about his governmental philosophy, and I think very pertinent to our current situation. The power of the legislative being derived from the people by a positive, voluntary grant and institution can be no other than what that positive grant conveyed, which being only to make laws and not to make legislators. The legislative can have no power to transfer their authority of making laws and place it in other hands. So, all right, as you know, uh, bureaucracies can make uh, Martin's skin crawl, and I really love this lock blistering indictment of bureaucracies and legislators leaving these open-ended laws and saying, well, you know, you guys go ahead and you write the statutes out from here. Yeah, he would have an apoplectic fit over today's uh, United States government and how it works. Yeah, because that's the legislators. It is the the grown tree of the seeds he was planting. Yes. And I'm sure he would probably question, like, but that's not what I meant. Well, but apparently somewhere along the but way, Americans did. read it, took it into themselves, and made it their own. Well, that's right. And exactly bastardized right. the hell out of it. And that's correct. Right. I mean, and it'd be interesting to, to, and we'll talk about this, I suppose, some next episode, but we'll talk about it right now, too, is if he could see the way we are today, what would his opinion be based on his philosophical thoughts? Well, I think you could say, make that same observation, because obviously it would be, oh my God, what did you do? Uh, is it a very minimum? But I think... Practically all the founding fathers, whether they were Federalists or Anti-Federalists, would have the same thought. Well, because the world has changed so much, yes, they're going to question, did, because they, you can go back to original intent and all that sort of stuff, whatever you want, that can be used as a club, club or a, 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 a guide. Wonderful, uh, yeah, a guide, but ultimately they, they tried to make something that would be flexible enough to withstand any societal changes that would occur, which is impossible to truly understand all well, of that. Nobody has that much pre They're better equipped, the country they founded for it, for, that, for being able to do that. Yep. The problem is in getting the country that they built or laid the foundations for to actually use those tools. 
You know, it is very yeah. difficult, for instance, right. to get a constitutional com uh, amendment passed. And it should be. That's right. Yes. Yes, it should be. But should it be that dif should it be as difficult as it is now? Maybe, maybe not. Should the things that get proposed as constitutional amendments be proposed? Maybe, maybe yeah. not. Yeah. You know, maybe if you propose something stupid, it shouldn't be easy to ratify that. Then, and then again, we got had prohibition too. Then again, you had prohibition. That's right. Which was which which. You know, we, we talk about abortion and many of the other things that are going on currently in our society about that, and really the only way to codify most of this, these, these questions is through the amendment process. Right. Uh, because that's, the, the Supreme Court always rules on the Constitution as it is written. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to, yes. It's supposed to. And in the recent days, there's been a lot of talk about, well, they sh we should censure them, they didn't give us what we wanted, whatever. And the answer to that question is, well, then why aren't you making an amendment? Right. Because that's that's how this does. Right, right. and, and well, that's, that's the, the core of this is, and, and I think where the court is, they're not really supposed to go with all this politics, but where the court is is we're tired of having the ball dumped in our lap because the legislature refuses to do their job. You can't hand it off to us or the bureaucracy or anybody else. Which is... You're the legislature. You do it. That's why I brought it up, because that's exactly what your quote is saying. Exactly. That's exactly what your quote yeah, is saying. Yeah, and I feel is like that, the court is there right well, now, the that they are is, really in this point of, no, we're why not are we, the legislature. Why, why did you make us do this? Yeah. Why and you could say this, this in 1973, us. you can say this today. Yeah. Why did you make us do this? Because this was that decision, since it's not in the Constitution... Why not in a penumbra, whatever the hell that is? That's right. It, it, it's not why, an emanation. Uh, yeah. Why then? Why in the world doesn't the legislature take this up? Right. Because that's the thing about uh, you know. Because really, we have two things. Uh, the obviously, this is very particular to the United States. You know, it's where we live. It's our example to to use. But we have a very distinct branches of the government, and the legislature. The House and the Senate have, in many ways, devolved a good deal, almost all of their authority, uh, in the in the details. Obviously, not in the, the the grand scheme, but in the details, to both the regulatory agencies and the courts. In this way, I wasn't even thinking about the courts uh, when I was first thinking right. about this. Guy, my first thought is the agencies, the EPA. Yeah, yeah that's the, the easy one. Again, executive orders. So and I, executive orders. You know why? Why are those so broad? I mean, that should be that. I'm not even sure, sure the legislatures dumped so much over. You can write these executive orders that are so so broad and meaningful. And right. if somebody doesn't like it, they go to the courts for relief against it. Right. And that and you're exactly right. Locke would be furious for all the right reasons because the legislature should be what's dry. They should be the engine. It's the most direct expression of, of the people. people. Therefore, they should be the ones bing, 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 that bing, bing, bing. do exactly. They're the ones that should be driving everything. And the others are struggling to keep up. And yet, it's become quite the reverse. But within the American system, I mean, Washington discovers this very early on, there is some leeway for the executive to make these laws effective and, right. and do things. Well, if they're co-equal branches, then you know, there has to be something like the ability to write an executive order. Sure. There has to be the ability of regulatory agencies, although they would probably, Washington would probably blanch at the term, much less at the expression today. Yeah. But Congress, even back then, 
there's no way they could legislate all of the details that govern life, especially mm-hmm. modern life. Yeah, because they don't they don't enforce anything. Well, yeah, right, I mean, they don't enforce anything. CO2 levels is quite beyond right. Some Which ambulance chaser who managed to to get elected to the house, you know, house, some yeah. tiny little district in, in Rhode Island or something, <laughs> you know. Uh, so, senator from Delaware. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't going to be quite that direct, but all right. Um, all right. Um, so what, are we going to get in trouble here? We have to give up being crucified in the afternoon? That would be a blow, wouldn't oh, it? Oh, wouldn't it? My <laughs> God, I said that to him two hours ago, and he just keeps repeating it. Yeah. But it's so funny. It's, uh, your, but your British accent was so good. I can do, uh, I can do a very, Eric Idle. I can do a very good Eric Idle. Yes, I can. Very much so. Yes. So, so the interesting thing about the, the court side of this you know, since you brought up the, the recent abortion decision, we'll use this as a great example. Um, it, is a, it is a perfect example of what we used to call legislating from the bench. Correct, yes. Uh, you know, Republicans have for decades uh, railed against this idea. Now, of course, Democrats yeah, are now turning... Uh, yeah, I mean, if they do a favorable decision, everybody stops railing. But, right. Uh, of course, now the Democrats who tend to have embraced the activist courts far more than, than uh, Republicans, which, if that's your governing philosophy, fine. I, I'm not arguing one way or the other, even though I have a personal opinion on it. But something like abortion, they can only rule on the merits of the particular case. Now, the court has shown they can get, and I don't mean just this court, I mean every yeah. court, mm-hmm. has shown that they can get very creative when ruling on the particulars of a case. Yes. But unless a case is brought before them that specifically challenges the idea of abortion being the taking of a human life, they cannot the court cannot outlaw abortion nationally. And that's not what this recent again, this is people going nuts on both sides. Yeah. Uh, all this has done is turn this back to the states. So in a very real way... Whereas the Constitution... Which, which is where the Constitution would have it. Yes, yeah, anything that's not in here is supposed to be reserved to the states or to the people. And you or, well, and starting, well, you can make the argument starting at the people working their way up or at the federal level working yeah. its way down depending on the issue. So for something that affects the entire country, obviously you would start... It really is appropriate at the congressional level, yeah. Senate and, and House. So... You could make the argument that, well, how can we have... Because I've said this before. If it took a constitutional amendment to, to, pro, uh, to prohibit the making and distribution of alcohol during prohibition, why does it not take a constitutional amendment to ban any other substance that people ingest? Mm-hmm. You know, or why, legalize it. Or to legalize it. Uh, because, obviously, that would make it a fiat done deal. But... Congress could make a law that applies to all 50 states and U.S. territories that says human life begins at conception or human life does not begin until a week after conception because, you know, there are some that say, well, you know, even post-birth abortion is fine. It's not abortion then, it's murder, in, in our obvious opinion. Yeah, yeah. But the, yeah. the there are, theoretically... That's the appropriate place to decide that, unless you want to go nuclear and write it into the Constitution. The courts should only be able to say, yes, you can do this, or no, you can't do this. particular situation complies, or... Yes, this particular situation. Complies with the existing law or violates existing law. 
And yeah. see, but there is no existing law on this issue. So right. that's why their their precedent, you know, created it. And, and essentially, which that's why it was easily undone because it was well, I didn't say easily because they've right. tried this many times. Well, that's correct, but it was. When Honestly, this, I didn't expect it to happen this time. Well, well, uh, well, when this case first came up, but then as time went on, yeah. and especially when the leak happened, most, most legal, legal scholars will say that that the original decision was done on very shaky legal ground. Oh yes, very. Any, any honest one, yes, that is say correct. Rome was decided it was just. It, it, it was, was a political decision. It was, it was that yeah, was made up a whole kind of almost. snuck in under under everyone's radar until what it happened, and then and there we go. It became yeah. the law. And ultimately, you're right. There's the the way our law, the way Locke would have put this to kind of circle us back, is that the 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 guiding philosophy of law is what gives you the ability to change it over time. And the founders here gave it. It's the amendment process that changed yeah. that. But it should reside. With the legislator, or the legislature, it starts there. But because of the minute process is so onerous, it's yeah. not only there; it has to pass both of those. But it also has to go to the states, and they have right, to ratify but, them too. Yeah. But so, right. that's still a legislative process. It is. That's correct. It is. It's not done by yeah. popular vote. Right. And right. But it's yeah. Again, I think the reaction of the court being, okay, we're tired of settling these things and having all this dumped in our laps. This is, and, and I, I find humorous when, you know, the court limits government power, but people still say it's fascist. Right. <laughs> what? Wait, we made the government less powerful, but that's fascist. Okay, anyway. Because people don't know what the word means. Yeah, yeah. that's word. You keep using it. I do not think it means what you think it means. That's right. Yes. Oh, well, uh, that's a lot of references t- uh, today. Yes, it is. Yes, so, it is. So, it might be, might be bourbon time. Is I think bourbon so. time? Who's I captaining think this episode? I'm sorry. I was, I was, I was suggesting, not uh, not ordering. <sighs> Anyways. I think Robert had it covered, man. It's bourbon time. Bourbon break. <laughs> I, I knew it. Mm. I was just prognosticating. I thought I was what it was. I thought it was stepping on toes, but all right. Well, you know what's barefoot, not me. Hey, well, that's a, why I was sensitive. That's right, yeah. <laughs> that would be a blow, wouldn't it? Uh, well, yeah, you wouldn't have nothing to do. <laughs> keep, uh, work, keep working on it. You're not bad. Eric Idle is coming through slightly. Yes. Yes. It takes a little time. I think I'm going to start doing that all the time. Just use that one piece of it. Well, I'm sure. Well, that, well, that would be a blow, I wouldn't it? Can I dreaming of having nothing to do? That's right. Oh, we used to dream of living in a corridor. Would have been a palace to us. Please Anyways, so Bourbon Break, uh, Francis, I nominate you to go first. Oh, thank you. I am drinking some of the Elijah Craig. Still uh, with that. Yes. Still with Finish that there. Me. Iced it up, and uh, it is it is so drinkable. I didn't say chuggable, but drinkable. Uh, when you when you put that cold ice to it, it just really makes that. Yes, that, that it I noticed changes. that. It it. it I, I can I can I can pound these babies down if I should. I would I don't, but I it would be could, it would be a sin to pound it. That's right, but I could do so, and it would have no ill effects. But if I tried that neat, I would be my god, my head would hurt. Well, you know, one of the things I've noticed with the uh, with the ice and letting the the, the ice melt and, and that water bring out the flavors, and, and as you put it, you, it flavors bloom, Martin. That's a, such a great word for it. Thank um, you, sir. Thank you. It, Very James Joyce word. I like yes. That, yes. Uh, one of the things I've noticed is that when you get a really good bourbon where it's had that effect because it doesn't the effect that blooming effect varies from bourbon to bourbon yeah and part of the charm part of the charm uh, as we saw with Trader Joe's there's zero blooming 
Uh, it was, you know, dead in the frozen ground. Yeah, blooming like a fungus. Exactly. Uh, oh, God, please don't say we have a fungus among us. <laughs> it was there. I had to use it. But one of the great things about when this happens is when you come across a bourbon, when you take that sip, or just a little bit more than a, a, a sip, and you can slosh it around in your mouth and engage the entire palate, the tongue, everything in that flavor. Boys, that's an excellent bourbon when that happens. Yes, yes it, it is. It really is. And it's Elijah Curry is very, very much like that. Yes, bravo to that one, because that's a yes. new one that we've not had before. Yes, it's very sharp when you first drink it, yes. either neat or when you first drop the ice in before it's had a chance to bloom. But, oh my God, just a little bit of that mellows it out oh, and, yes, and causes that blooming so much. So, Martin, what do you have? I did also pour Elijah Craig. Again, well-established, one of my favorites. You hadn't done that before, am I right? Well, I don't think we've ever had a bottle. No, I mean, you didn't do it last episode. Didn't do it last episode. That's what I thought. You I had, had something I had different. a Buffalo Trace last episode. That's, that's right. That's what I couldn't remember. I went to yeah. Elijah Craig. Well, I've been an Elijah Craig fan for years and years and years. Um, just this is the first it. time we've had it on the show, though, that is, isn't yeah, it? Right. It is. Yeah. First time, yeah. that's right. Yeah. It is. I have not picked up a bottle in ages. Right. Uh, and, and you know, and exploring, spelunking through other flavors. But you guys are right. It's just, it's smooth and generous, and I just, I, I and love the flavors it. really come out the yeah uh, on that. It's just really sweet, and the hint of the smoke. Yes, um, it's that hint of that kind of maple syrup to it. And uh, it's not no one flavor is overpowering with it. Yeah, that, which that's is true. It's complex. It's a good blend. It's but a better not, good blend. Yeah, yes. just that complex, and each little thing gets to have its chance to shine. So I have done uh, the Old Forester Signature 100. So this is 100 proof, yeah. and uh, I was told, and I found I googled this and found out it's true, that the mash used in this. Old Forester 100 yeah. is the same that goes into the Woodford Reserve Double Oak, which of course is one of my all-time favorites. That's right. Yes. So, uh, oh, we've got to try it. So I provided both the Elijah Craig and the signature uh, right. Old Forester, and Francis has provided for us the Woodford Double Oak, which we will I will try the next time. Okay. Uh, so I'll report on that in the next episode. And then you guys also have to try the Buffalo Trace for yes. me and see what you think. Absolutely. So, uh, tasting this, uh, again, at, at the very beginning, uh, you have a much, much bigger flavor, I guess I would put it, uh, more noticeable at first. Uh, a little sharp, but uh, very, uh, but not sharp in a bad way. You know, when, I, when I talk about the sharpness or the bite, that's really, uh, I don't know of a better term. I, I, you know, I'm not well versed in all the, the highfalutin ways of expressing this, but... Uh, Adding the ice and letting the flavor bloom was phenomenal. When I, I'm going to take another sip here. I can't wait to try it. Cannot wait. We love the yeah. uh, the old Forester that uh, Francis had on our last uh, yes. last go around. And even though it's an old Forester, you know there were distinct differences. Sure, yeah, we didn't notice. You had uh, you had Prohibition style. I had Prohibition style from 1920, and I had the uh, 1897. I think so. Yes, I think yeah, that's right. Yes, yeah, yeah. So this, uh, you know, the the it's one of those that you can roll around in the mouth. Uh, you definitely get, uh, in, in some ways, similar to the uh, to the Elijah Craig. You get uh, very much a sweetness, maybe a little bit of citrus in there, and 
uh, you, you get there's definitely some of that smoky oak uh, hint in it, uh, but it all it, it just like the Elijah Craig we were just talking about, it just blends very well. But honestly, I think it does it even better. Cool. Even better. Cool. Like that. And cool. can't wait. You, you you feel it going down into your into the top of your throat a little bit. It's very much a mouth mouth yeah. flavor. Mm-hmm. Right here. Yeah. Not in the not in the nostrils. Not in the nasal passages. Very much in the the mouth. And you'll feel that slowness, and it'll settle in your stomach. And it's a nice warmth there. Good. Uh, it, it this is it it is very reminiscent of Woodford. Uh, so I'm very pleased with this. Yeah, which uh, has always was, been one of our favorites. Uh, yes. But, you, but, you, but you, you're not yet prepared to compare it to the double oak. No, because it's been a while since I've had the okay, double oak, and I want to do them relatively close to I'll be very interested in, in, in hearing the, the, your, your test of that. Yes. So uh, now it's back to uh, Mr. Locke. And uh, the man is just, I think, he, th- these are some of the best quotes. Oh, man, he's amazing. It's genius stuff. Yeah, the, yeah. The, yeah genius level stuff. And super genius, super genius. Yes, <laughs> yeah. and it is. Uh, there are so many here that, on their own, uh, I could, I could choose. And there are several. Actually, they're a little surprising. There was one uh, about the Bible that uh, I thought was phenomenal. If we had gone in a, uh, in, in any way, I would use this one. Uh, but uh, it's not quite appropriate. So, but I think the one that um, that I'm going to go with. Uh, well, actually, first, before I do that, I, I almost forgot. I need you guys you to repeat our quotes so that we, we get the context of what I'm hammering together. Right, okay. My, my quotation was, Reading furnishes the mind only with the materials of knowledge. It is thinking that makes what we read ours. And mine is, The power of the legislative being derived from the people by a positive voluntary grant and institution can be no other than what that positive grant conveyed, which being only to make laws and not to make legislators. The legislators, the legislative can have no power to transfer their authority of making laws and place it in other hands. Okay, very good, very good, gentlemen. Uh, great quotes, e- excellent. So, I'm going to go with one that uh, on its surface is going to sound like doesn't really fit both, but work with me here. You got it. You got it. Run. Run. So, being all equal and independent, no one ought to harm another in his life, health, liberty, or possessions. That is from the Second Treatise of Government. Now, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's basically, where, yeah. That's where Jefferson cribbed it. Yeah. So, I was wondering if you could do that, because that was the first one that came up under Goodreads. Ah, Really? Yes. See, that's not the first one of Goodreads for me. Really? Yeah. See, when I, that's when I, because we were talking about when we were doing our research on this, uh, I went and got John Locke quotes. That's the first one that showed up. Well, now, mine, by default, it's uh, sorting by the number of likes. Ah, okay. So maybe that's the difference. Possibly so, yes. Anyways, uh, so the reason I like this is a couple of reasons, because I want to break this into parts. Mm-hmm. So, being all equal and independent, I like that. Because what is that saying? Stay off my lawn. For for Martin, it's saying stay off my lawn, uh, but not really. What that's saying is it's recognizing the inherent dignity of the human person. Yes, it is. Ding ding ding. That's ding, a, ding, yes, ding. it is. And Locke is not from the Catholic tradition. No, but he is very much a believer in God and and, and devoted to the Bible. His quote on, on, on the Bible is phenomenal. Um, but in those four words. 
he has put in, in layman's terms, the inherent dignity of the human person. So he's taken those six down to four. Um, and I, I love that because it is, is it should be easy enough for everybody to understand. We are all equal in dignity, not in ability, obviously. And we all have, we are all equal in our in kind our of independence. A fallacy of the modern world. Right. That we're equal in ability. Right. That that's where the the whole equity thing comes from. You know, equity is it's currently defined as is is a misnomer because it's it's not yeah, possible. There, there's like a commercial for some. Uh, you know, well, these online universities. This is talents equally distributed. Uh, no, no, then we'd all be you know Brad Pitt, or we'd all be neurosurgeons. Right. Talent is not equally distributed, but the ability to grow is. Yes. Yes. So, but not infinitely so. No. Otherwise, we could so. all eventually become yeah. all those things. Yes. But but there's. You know, the ability to improve, the ability to learn at least something, it is is there. for Right, and I think that's inherent in a lot of his other quotes. Because uh, he has a lot of quotes on thinking and uh, opinions and what have you that, that could tie into that. So that's the first part, that inherent dignity of the human person, that being all equal and independent, meaning we are free agents uh, in how we go about our lives. Which, obviously, Martin, I know that appeals to you, because you went immediately to get off my lawn. Yes. Um, but the next part, though... So I love Curtis Flood. <laughs> one, of, one of the great you know, names in baseball. Uh, he's the guy that really instigates free agency for baseball players. Right, right. So, the next part, no one ought to harm another in his life, health, liberty, or possessions. Now, the reason I like this and why I think this ties to you guys. Uh, first, I like it because... It, it, in the midst of all your equality and independence especially, you have an inherent right and an inherent responsibility. You know, mm-hmm. you, first you have the right to uh, life, health, liberty, and possessions. But you have an inherent responsibility to do no harm to anyone else Else's. with those. To anyone right. else's. Right. Well, to any, any other person. So yeah. you cannot, by your right, impose uh, to a certain degree. You can to a certain degree because in the moral aspect, if you have ten loaves of bread and I'm starving, morally you are bound to give me a loaf of bread. Uh, now, whether you are you know, politically moti- bound or yeah, if you personally bound... Not bound to give that loaf to the government who then takes half of it and then passes the other half to you. Yeah, yes, Philosoph- we're talking philosophically speaking, <laughs> not practically speaking. Um, but, but morally speaking... Because government always takes a cut. Always. Uh, but, but morally speaking, uh, it's the same idea that, you know, if you're starving, you are doing harm, or if, or if you have ten loaves of bread and you're seeing somebody who's starving, you are doing harm by keeping those possessions to yourself. And I think that kind of goes back to... Uh, to your quote about uh, the the very first one about uh, uh, it is thinking that makes what we read ours about taking anything in right and then making it our own and sending it back out yeah. well I think that also applies to the the possessions as well mm-hmm. you know what we do with those because how we live our lives and what we do with what we have 
there is a right and a wrong, a responsible and an irresponsible way to go about those things. Well, Locke was very famous for saying that we you know we have a social responsibility called social contract that you're supposed to give back to your community. In fact, the community doesn't exist unless you unless everyone does. Right. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of guys like Martin telling everybody to get off their alarm. That's right. Alarm. Well, I mean, you know, and that goes back to the other John, John Dunn, who spoke of no man is an island. Yes. Uh, that's the same type of of philosophy here is that yeah. we have to be able to get along and therefore we have to respect certain rights amongst those that you just mentioned. Interesting that it says health though. You have a right to your health. Well, that yeah, I think that's inherent though because when you think about it you cannot, uh, almost no right, uh, even the right to think mm-hmm. is impaired by bad health. All right, your ability to exercise any of your rights that's correct can and will be impaired Which by bad health. Which leads, of course, to the practical application problems of that. Right. Who's what? responsible for that? To what extent are they responsible? And what cons- what is constitutes health? Right. Now, in the modern world, it's complicated. Hey, it's, it's complicated. complicated. Trevor, Trevor, Trevor has made an appearance in a few He's episodes. been in the bathroom, but he's here now. Come on in, Trevor. Yes. It's complicated. Don't it's go in there for about 20 minutes. That's right. So it is complicated because in John Locke's time, health was primarily an in, individual responsibility in the sense that it was only you that could determine whether or not you had good health by what you whether you know what you did, what you ate, because the quacks of the day and their leeches really didn't do much for you. I mean, no. there were the occasional things. That, yes, they they could help you with. Uh, you know, but honestly, Locke studied medicine. Right, that's right. He's a physician too, which yes. uh, which is something that we haven't talked about yet. But that's that's he has a perspective on that that's very different from others because he has the ability. You know, hospitals are a thing, but only in their infancy. So at this right. time, it, it's a it's a time when the ideas of what medicine really is and whether or not there's a science to it is just is beginning. Just beginning to change. And he did subscribe to that, by the way. He was a yes. huge guy for the we, we, I won't get into that when we talk about him. Next episode. Yeah, fuller right. in the episode. So, right. so yeah, the health thing is is interesting because it was still much more. It was still so simple compared to what it is today. There was very little cost involved. Nowadays, because we have the ability to extend life and to cure disease to such a great degree, but it costs so much. That's where it gets tricky. Well, and it's only possible to the extent that it is because of the large economies of scale. Something that yes, something that Locke would have not truly understood. Well, because they didn't exist. I mean, there was no. Right. Well, I mean, but the 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 British government was was large, and it was you know it was still imperial at this time. It has enormous resources. Well, there but not geographically large. Yeah, but then there's also scope. That's right, because even as large as that is... Yeah, there's no large-scale manufacturing for him to understand. Right, because that's... Yeah, because this is the beginning of that stuff. Yeah, 1704, you're talking about pre-industrial revolution, so the concept of industry is foreign to him. Right. You know, your your local druggist, if if that's even the term yet, because pharmacist certainly is not the the term, uh, you know, your doctor made their own pills. They got his mortar and pistol out and ground everything together and you know bound it all together into a pill, if you're lucky, because it probably just put the powder in water and let it dissolve. And you drank that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that a potion is nothing more than a pill dissolved in water. I mean that's essentially you know, talk about that kind of a thing. Yeah. So yeah, Locke would may have some problems with the modern uh, execution of how we deliver mm-hmm. healthcare. Uh, I, actually I don't think I don't think anybody has a, a, a perfect love of the modern healthcare system. 
no matter what your persuasion is, because well, it, it well, sucks. That's, that's correct, There's, and it's it's very inequitable uh, to use that word again. Yeah, um, in, in many ways, yeah, in inequitable so many ways. in application uh, as well as is outcome. Uh, outcomes a little bit harder to, to truly uh, make equitable because so many factors that we control. That's correct. Exercise and diet being and primary. That's that's part of what people miss about modern healthcare is. Starts here. The, the equity, yeah. I mean, the, the outcome is hugely part, uh, you know, determined by your actions. Yes. Anybody well, who's watched a parent yeah. get ill. Genetic predispositions and environmental factors aside. Right. And, I mean, obviously those are things. You know, what the doctor tells you to do and all this, but... You're talking about regular chronic maintenance type things as opposed to the emergency traumatic aspects which we are, uh, Locke could have never conceived of that. Yeah, now that's, a general that's, rule, that's actually, it's a strength of our health. Very much so, you know, because we can, you know, if someone is injured traumatically, they are taken care of immediately. Yeah. and Because we, we, we have an infrastructure in place to handle that. Yeah. That is correct. And that's so, something that's, that's that, I'm just pointing that out, that it's different. Right, right, right. It, it, well, that, that's part of it. Um, but, you know, you, you brought up the health of that. I mean, it's an interesting aspect, because all of these are interesting, because, you know, Life, health, liberty, and possessions are all, we all take for granted in, in many ways, yeah. but uh, I think that idea of doing no harm to, to another is, is important. And the, the doing no harm is where I want to go with Martins, okay? Mm-hmm. Because so much of the way we view uh, the way government works, especially the American government, is, you know, we're safest when Congress is not in session, is, is the old joke. Yeah. yeah. And, and when it's Whatever two eighteen to two seventeen, that's the best. Exactly. Know, when Congress is deadlocked. That's the best situation possible. Right. They because they can't screw the, anything up. Exactly. They, granted, they can't fix what they've already screwed up. But how likely were they to do that to begin with? Mm-hmm. Not very, in my opinion. So, you know, that do no harm applies not just at the individual level, but at the community level. And I think that's part of the problem with the country today is that we only look at things at the individual level and we don't look at it at the community level from the right perspective. Right. Because from the indi- and we don't look at the individual level from the right perspective far too often. Yeah. Far too often it's the selfish aspect of the the individual and the I don't say generosity because I, I need a negative but the largesse. Largesse is the word I was getting ready to yeah. The largesse yeah. attitude at the community level. And honestly, I think it needs to be the other way around. We need to be more largesse-minded at the individual level to enhance the bonds of community. You know, we talked about in the last episode with the Kellogg-Briand pack about how you have lasting peace. Part of that is economic self-interest and commonality of culture and, the, and philosophical ideals. We don't have that currently in this country, even in this country, never mind yeah. with our, our fellow nations. Absolutely. And that's part of what the, the strife is nowadays, is that we don't have that commonality and that economic self because we're all selfish. We want me and mine. Yeah. And at the national level, we're trying to give everybody what they want all at the same time, and that's not possible. Yeah. We need to try and be a little stingier and doing no harm at the top, while at the bottom, at the individual level, going the opposite way and having a little bit more generosity. Yeah. And I think that that would be a, a far better yeah. way to go. That means Congress doesn't devolve its lawmaking to these other agencies because they're being more responsible with our 
health, happiness, and possessions. They're being more responsible with the grant we've given them yes. to act in our interest. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, and by and, our, yeah. we mean the nations. Because obviously, yeah. you know, individual legislators are beholden to their constituents, yes. But the original ideal was still for the common good. Yeah. Not just my district's yeah. good. And so much of our political discourse today is a... It's not a bad thing to be about the individual, but it's to, it's about the individual to the exclusion of how your actions can infringe on others. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, your rights have to end where someone else's begins. Your right to throw a punch ends at my face. Yeah, I mean, this, or about this, a millimeter from my this, face. This, anyway. You know, the modern idea of a right to health care and a right to housing. You have the right to seek these things in the marketplace, but you don't have the right to make someone else give you those things. Yes and no. This is where That's, the philosophical stuff gets a little yeah, bit because, because our underpinnings are a little different. Um, yeah, because not all are capable. Not all are capable. But also, but for those that are capable, you can't go to a doctor and say, treat me, and by the way, I'm not going to pay you, and by the way, stick the bill up your ass. Yes. You sought treatment, you had that right to seek treatment, but now the responsibility is, pay this person well, we also for have services. Well, for the most part, we services. have places where people who cannot pay can go. It may not be the best, and right. that's a problem that could be fixed, perhaps. Yes. Yeah, but yeah. you going to your regular doctor and, you know, say, you know, you got your copay and you never pay your copay, yeah, that's wrong. Uh, or you go to your doctor. and But what about when you go to your doctor because you've had an accident with your toe and you find out that the bill for that would have been $13,000 for this guy coming in on a Sunday evening and, and sewing a couple of stitches in your toe? Is that right when the insurance company negotiates that down to 1300 and the individual without insurance is stuck with thirteen grand, so yeah, exactly. there there are issues there. Right. So because who can afford that? I mean, thirteen grand out of pocket is impossible, and not everybody can. As we have seen, not everybody can afford insurance, even the Obamacare, because uh, it's still expensive. And um, when it comes to housing, yeah, we not everybody can buy a house and can can be given a house in the suburbs. Uh, I don't think anybody. Well, I don't, well. Millennials aside, too, not too many people are proposing stuff like that. But on the other hand, what does it do to the community and the economy, if you want to get uh, practical about it, by having a large homeless population? Yeah, because that's, ultimately that's what you're creating. Yeah, because that's a yeah. so you know you sometimes must, there must by be a social a social we call it safety, safety net. Yeah, I don't yeah. like the term. I don't like it either. But it, it, that's that's exactly what we're talking about. As a civilized society, we have to have the ability to take care of the least of us. Yeah. Now, yeah, but you are correct. Like where those boundaries in are, that, but those it's are the demand that I have a problem with. The phrasing of "I have a right to housing." No, you have the right to seek being a part of that market because everything's a market, whether you want to admit it or not. True, everything's a market. The, the, the market has always existed, but I go back to to the to the inherent dignity that all being equal and independent. Yeah. Um, too much equal is bad and too much independent is bad and I don't know that it serves anybody 
whether you want to call it a right or what, but I think it, it, it really Im, impedes and offends the inherent dignity of the human person mm-hmm. by saying, all right, you know, I understand you don't have a home, you're living out of your car, but, you know, at least you got a car. That, you know, yeah. we, we are, that's not... We are our brother's keeper, to go back to the... To a certain said, degree, to, we to are. To a certain degree, we yeah. are. We absolutely, those of us who have, have a duty to do that, to assist with those who do not. And I get and where you're coming I, from. I, I mean, right. it, it, it is. I'm sorry. I yeah. have to do that. I'll give, you, I'll give you the quote from Charlton Heston, Planet of the Apes, at the very beginning. Tell me that man, that marvelous creature that sent us to the star, does, stars, does he still make war against his neighbor and keep his brother's children starving? And the day we, yeah, these people do have a right. And, yeah, I understand your demand. I'm firm about your rights cannot injure someone else's rights. Someone else has the right to then, okay, again, that lock-in concept of I'm making something on my property, I own this plot of land, and I built a housing uh, apartment building on it. And so you can't just walk in and say, I have a right to housing, give me an apartment. And, and probably even those who talk about a right to housing. Um, housing is perhaps a, a, a bad term for it. Yeah. Uh, you know, you might call it a right to shelter. Uh, because realistically, uh, is it... Because I, I don't believe that the the non-existent, a non-existent right to housing means that uh, you can't find a place to put people overnight when it's zero degrees out and they're otherwise on the streets. The fact that we sh- merely shift the homeless population around the city depending on what event is going on. Because like around Derby, we clear everybody out of the South End as best as we can. We ship them off. Whenever there's a big convention in town or something going on downtown, we get them out of that area along uh, I-65 that uh, creates those huge underpasses right. where they like to congregate because it's shelter. It's cool in the summer and provides uh, shelter against the, the elements when it's cold. So moving that around, I think, is despic- just moving them around based on who's coming into town and where they're going is despicable. It's elitism. It is, yeah. in many ways. It is a form of very elitism. Much, very much so. And, and I'm not saying that that means that we should just leave them in place. Because that's not that's not the solution. The government either. one no. of the one of the, the provide for the common defense. It also provides for the common good. The yeah, see, has. I think this sort of stuff falls this, under this, the common. It does. Good. Now, how we do that? That's very negotiable. The how is negotiable. But and the fact we that cannot, we should have programs for those who cannot. Absolutely, we are a civilized society. We must. And I think and that, that we a, are a better society if we can figure out how to do that. I don't think we do it well now, and the calls for it to be so extreme for well, provide them everything they need. Are just as wrong as provide them or cut them off. Yeah, or cut them off. Yeah, because neither one serves them ultimately. Cutting them off is probably worse. It is because there's danger of death. Morally speaking, if you leave somebody to their own, you know, stop spending my tax dollars on those poor people. Right. Sorry, but leaving them part of the deal. You know, having the government become the all-providing all-father, to use a uh, Thor term, uh, Uh all-father Odin. Uh, it doesn't do them any good as individuals. That does not give them any more dignity than starving in the in the and freezing to death. 
because all you've done is made them a ward of the state in a never-ending cycle. And we've seen this. Yes, yes. So you have to not only provide for the basic needs, but provide methods to get out of that as well. Yes, Yes. because there is dignity in work, and that's what is forgotten far too often. Because, again, that takes over your independence. Yes. You, you, You assert your agency... By moving yourself out of dependence, yeah, and but ultimately the choice to, is yours. Yeah, and and that's that's a large part of my problem. As is, long as there's a pathway, you know, you, you the there has to you, be a limit. There has to be look a recognition that policy wise, the you know every you know if you provide free cat food, that program's going to have kittens. <laughs> okay, you you can't just open endedly do these things. I mean, it's been demonstrated over and over again. Try standing on a street corner handing out $20 bills. You're going to run out very quickly. Yeah. Because you thought you were doing something and you were doing it for people who needed it, but suddenly you find yourself, well, what's, you know, what's the real definition of need? Well, see, and that's where the... The The devil is in the details once again. That's where the the progressives would say, well, the problem is you were trying to do it on your own. We need to get the government to hand out those $20 bills because then they don't run out. And then they become $10 bills. Well, they become worth $10 anyways. Because more likely it becomes $40 because, oh, 20 is not enough. Yes. But it's still only worth 10 because you printed up, you know, $20 trillion. And and don't worry, you don't have to give it. We'll just print more. Right. Yeah. You know, and then that's again that's a whole political discussion yeah, about that's M one money supply and the history of and that's Congress, the sober though. content and the denarius and <laughs> and everything else. I love it. Love it. But that's Congress though delegating their authority to somebody else. To some agency who decided, right. hey, we can fix all this by just printing more money. Right. The US government technically has no control over the money supply. Now really they kinda do they do. I mean, they, but yeah. but realistically, though, the Fed can do things that until the government, until next term comes up, they can't replace somebody on the on the board. So at any given time, yes, the Fed can do whatever they want. But yeah. their job is though to make sure the government has an, essentially their job is to make sure the government has yeah. enough money yeah. to pay the bills. Yeah. Whether I mean, that's that through is, the sale of bonds or printing money. Yeah, I mean that is such an excellent example that I didn't think of before. But that's Congress delegating a power they really shouldn't have of just saying, well, we don't know. You just handle it, Janet Yellen. Yep, yep. And, you know, again, well, inflation, it's it's demonstrated, you know. Whenever the money supply goes up, inflation follows. Right. That's what it is. It's like people don't understand that the, the biggest impact on consumer inflation, and I'm talking consumer, so when you go to the grocery store to buy your food or you go to buy a new laptop or whatever, it's the price of gas and diesel because all that stuff has to be trucked from one place to another. And so the price of oil, the price of gas, that is the main driver of consumer inflation. So when gas hits $5 a gallon, which I don't think it quite hit 5 here. I think it hit $4.99. It was really close. was yeah. as high as I saw it go here in Louisville. Yeah. It's gone to over $7 in other places. Yeah. Uh, and we wonder why the cost of goods has gone up. Right. I mean, could you ever see, have you seen the price of a steak? My God. I mean, it, hamburger. It's an, it's an important driver, but money supply still is a key component. Yes. And you, and again, this is historical. When, yeah, they go hand in hand is where I was right. going with Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. I mean, it, 
again, the Romans would lower the silver content of the money that would allow them to print more money, and they thought that was fixing things, but all it did was drive up prices. Right. The Spanish, the same thing. They came to the New World, found all this gold, thought they were rich, but really all they did was print more money and push the prices domestically up yep. in, in Spain. We've done the same thing. We've decided, hey, we need more money to stimulate the economy, but all we did was drive inflation up. Yep. Well, and put the, the and it's both because they're both printing money as well as selling as much debt as they possibly can. Perhaps I should go find my uh, 1974 uh, Gerald Ford button whip inflation now and bring it back out. Oh again. yeah, win, win, win baby, win, 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 win with baby. Jerry. That's right, win with Jerry. That's yeah. Right. So, anyways, so yeah, I I, I think I, I think I hammered my point as as well as yeah. I can with that. And I think we're that, at, Hour plus. So hour plus. But yeah. well, if we hadn't spent twenty minutes on on writing, we probably would have been okay. No, we only did it when we did about eight minutes on writing. It felt like twenty minutes. I'm sure the readers think it was only eight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we can go on and on, but that's us. That's right. That's why you listen. Well, that's why we got another episode. That's right. That's right. So, anyways, I, any any last thoughts before we finish? Because I, I think we no, pummeled that expired equine pretty well. We go for it, sir. All right, right Francis, baby, what's next? What is that next episode, you might ask? But we've already told you, if you've listened to this whole episode, we're going to go deeper with John Locke himself. We've, we've learned a lot about him. We've talked a lot about him. We've uh, danced around a lot of his philosophy. Mm-hmm. We'll go into the man himself. He is one of the foundational philosophical... If you understand Locke and his position, you understand a lot of why we are the way we are and why we do the way we do. He is the, he is the guy. We're going to go all into him next episode, so be here. Hope you enjoyed another pointless discussion of eternal questions. Remember, new episodes publish every Friday at noon Eastern. Spread the word. We're on all the major podcast platforms. And leave us a comment or review because that helps others find us. We're on Instagram, Twitter, as well as our website, snakesandotters.com. I'm Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Join us next week, same snake time, same otter channel.